Until recently, doctors have offered screening for hepatitis C to people with increased risk of disease, such as those who inject intravenous drugs. However, the US Centre for Disease Control have recommended screening for hepatitis in all people born between 1945 and 1965, and in some places, it's mandatory to offer testing. I'm Helen McDonald, Analysis Editor. I'm now joined by Kenny Lynn, Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Georgetown University, and Jeannie Lenzer, Investigative Journalist in New York, whose latest analysis article questions whether the evidence is strong enough to support that policy. Thanks to Kenny for joining us. Hi. And also thanks to Jeannie. Hi. So Kenny, before we go into the detail of this new screening policy, can you tell us a little bit broadly about what the state of hepatitis C infection is? How much of a problem is it? Uh, Hepatitis C is is a a pretty prevalent disease in the United States. um, The estimate is around 3 million people are infected, um, and every year about 16,000 people either die from liver disease or have liver transplantation because of hepatitis C disease. Um, Many of the uh, people in uh, the United States and worldwide probably uh, do not know they're infected, and until recently, um, there wasn't really much of a push to detect them because we had very little to offer them. Um, the, the existing treatments, most people were not eligible for, and even if they were eligible for them, uh, many patients dropped out of treatment because the side effects uh, were, were so difficult. So what were the existing treatments? Uh, they were primarily interferon-based treatments, mm-hmm. uh, and, and interferon is uh, you know, something that kind of stimulates the immune system to fight the virus. Um, but the problem with it was that it makes you basically feel like you have the flu and you have to take it for, you know, for up to a year, and most people don't like feeling like they have flu for a year. Um, and it wasn't that effective either that in, in people who were treated, even using very, you know, uh, like it's surrogate measures of effectiveness, like what was your viral load after several months, like a lot of people did not respond to that treatment. And what's been the natural history of a, of a hepatitis C infection? How How many people would... Um, get it and eliminate it compared to get it and keep it or have problems later, um, either symptoms or require mm-hmm. um, liver transplantation? Well, w- what we do know is that of patients who were diagnosed with hepatitis C for some reason and they've been followed for up to 30 years, most of them actually will do fine. Uh, they'll never, they won't develop symptoms. They won't have any idea that they, other than they already know they have hepatitis C, they won't, won't, won't feel any problems. Medically, about 80% of people at 30 years have not developed any, any detectable liver issues. Um, 15 to 20% of them, however, do develop liver failure or liver cancer. And what brought hepatitis C back to the top of the agenda to think that a policy for hepatitis screening might be worthwhile? What, what kind of changed? Well, I, I, I think the impetus for... Um, expanded screening was the belief, um, based on some recent studies that have been pretty high profile, um, uh, that the new drugs for hepatitis C um, are are more effective um, than the the you know some of the standard regimens in preventing long term liver disease and liver cancer, um, and 
also many organizations such as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, the World Health Organization, um, actually in, in their in individual states in the U.S. like the state of New York are all now very much encouraging people uh, within uh, to be tested for hepatitis C even if they don't have any of the previously recognized risk factors which um, are intravenous drug use, hemodialysis, or having received a transfusion before 1992, which is when uh, we began testing blood supplies for hepatitis C. And how much better do we think these new treatments might be? What what kind of evidence do the proponents of the screening policy cite? Well, so th- this, is, you know, this is really the key point, uh, how, how effective are the treatments? Because if the treatments truly are very effective... Uh, then even though only 20% of people with hepatitis C will develop long-term consequences, it might be worth screening everybody for the virus to see, uh, to, to benefit those people. Um, and thus far, the, the, treatments, the treatments are promising. I, I would call it promising because some surrogate measures um, uh, seem to respond a lot better in the new treatments than they did the old ones. So if you measure someone's viral load, uh, the amount of hepatitis C virus in their blood uh, after three or six months, um, the, the the new treatments seem to suppress the virus much more effectively than the old treatments, and in higher proportions, like 80 to 90 percent of patients who receive them versus the you know the old treatments around 40 percent or 50 percent. Um, but the the open question is whether this really this will lead uh, to you're 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 asking sort of a leap of faith to say what happens uh, what we can measure at three months or six months is going to uh, uh, cause a positive effect 20 or 30 years down the line. Um, and and that's that's one point where we think it's it's not proven enough. And before we go out and try to cast a broad net and test everybody for hepatitis C, most of whom probably will be offered these new treatments, uh, that we should have stronger evidence um, that that we were actually preventing the long-term consequences. So in a way, there are two leaps of faith. One is to say that the short-term outcomes that we've seen in in these surrogate markets result in long-term treatment um, benefits, and also that altering the population who we might be giving that to from high-risk people to um, asymptomatic people from a much wider population will be the same. Correct. Correct. And what might the downsides of these new treatments be? How much do we know about side effects and the safety of these medicines? So uh, unfortunately, because the treatments are so new, um, we don't have a lot of information about uh, side effects. Um, what has been, um, I think, highlighted by uh, by, by the, the, the makers of the drugs is they have a lower incidence of the sort of bothersome side effects that that would cause um, patients to discontinue them. So they're not, they don't get headaches, they don't get myalgias, they don't feel like they have the flu, but, you know, and that's good, um, but. Uh, we have some concern that the uh, that more serious side effects um, the the drugs have not been out long enough to really trace long term side effects um, and in fact, in one study of the the, the agents uh, Sebosphere or Savaldi. Uh, the the incidence of serious side effects was actually higher uh, than uh, than that of the traditional treatment. It wasn't statistically significant, but it was three percent versus one percent, and that at least suggests that um, that the, the the treatments perhaps need more. Um, we need more data on on what the long term side effects are, because the reality is that most patients are not going to benefit from the treatment. You, you're, you have a one in five chance really of benefiting from the treatment, even if the treatment works, which is an open question. And what, what and let me just add that that three percent incidence of serious adverse effects is showing that Savaldi was 
just as risky as the older peg interferon that everybody was trying to get away from. Those serious adverse events were things like congestive heart failure, need to remain on a ventilator, and death. And I think that's what patients care about. So when you apply those risk, those harms to a small group of symptomatic people, that may be worthwhile. But when you start applying those same harms to a much larger group of screened people, that's where it becomes um, a balancing act and it may tilt in um, the direction of net harm. And that's what we're concerned about is that nobody studied that to see if this will be a screening test that offers net benefit. And we have too many past um, episodes of screening tests that, that looked really reasonable. They looked like great ideas and they turned out to be bad ideas. And, and one example of that is neuroblastoma. And they used to screen kids um, with urine tests. It was simple, it made sense, you could save kids' lives. But eventually what they found is they landed up doing so many surgeries on kids whose neuroblastomas would have regressed anyway that there was net harm and they stopped screening for it. And so is delivering these new treatments to screen positive people, is that underway at present or is that something that's coming? Well, you know, I can speak from you know, my experience as a practicing family physician. There, there's, there's certainly a lot of pressure to start doing this. Um, this is being, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's being uh, disseminated through the normal medical education routes. You go to conferences, meetings where they, you know, tell you you need to screen for hepatitis C. And, and I think it's also starting to make its way into the electronic medical records that everybody in the U.S. now, or at least all the primary care physicians in the U.S. now are using uh, as sort of a prompt saying, you don't, you know, you, you need to think about screening for hepatitis C. I, I think if the momentum continues, it probably will start finding its way into pay-for-performance where physicians will actually, uh, the income of physician might depend on how, what percentage of uh, patients in this, uh, in, in the baby boomer age group has been screened for hepatitis C. So it may not be happening uh uh, universally, consistently yet, but it, it, it's definitely on the way up. Mm. Yeah, it's being used as a quality indicator in uh, some large um, affordable care organizations where doctors are dinged if they don't offer it to the patient. And as one patient said, you know, if the doctor offers it to me, I think that it must be a good idea or they wouldn't be offering it. Um, and in New York State, they went even further and have mandated that doctors must offer to order it by law. And so the debate, as you see it, is about whether whether the results of those trials in people with, with known infections is going to be applicable to this new screening population. How do you see the best way to move things forward? What should happen from here? Well, we propose that... Um, that we actually test the, the, the proposition or the assumption that uh, widespread screening is going to lead to more benefit than harm. And, and it's, 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 it's critical that we do this soon because once screening becomes sort of part of general practice, there's going to be no way to do this. You, you won't be able to find a comparison group. Um, but uh, we, we propose that, that there should be a clinical trial. Uh, most likely it would have to be funded by government or academia because I don't think the drug manufacturers will have much interest in, in uh, such a trial. Um, to uh, to enroll people and, and to, to uh, randomize them to half get the screening strategy that's, current, that's being recommended that everybody you know who, who was born between 1945 and 1965 gets screened compared to just traditional risk-based assessment which is what's going on right now that's you know that the only reason that you would test for is if somebody had a uh, history of injection drug use or uh, or you know an old transfusion 
um, and then and then look at the outcome several years later. Are we actually preventing liver disease? Um, yeah, and are we doing so at an acceptable cost? In um, are, are in that are there is there anything bad happening to the people who are getting screened and and subsequently treated that we weren't aware of in these very short term trials of the drugs that um, that were submitted for FDA approval? And to what extent do you think that there's an appetite for doing that? Is there sort of popular support around um, people calling for that? Um. That's a difficult question to answer. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, I, I would say that um, I would say that we hope, we certainly hope, there is an appetite for it. That 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 in the in the history of medicine, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of times when when such a study might have been a good idea, and 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 we chose not to go that route. Um, screen for prostate cancer it might have been a good idea before it was sort of rolled out generally in the U.S. and and you know and, and the U.K. And, and around the world. If someone had done a study to see, hmm, maybe you know it might be possible that we might be hurting more people than helping by this, um, rather than sort of you know 10 or 20 years later realizing we made a mistake or we were, were premature in advancing very very broad screening uh, recommendations. And internationally, are you aware of any countries taking different? Um lines of attack or investigating this differently to the U.S.? Um, I am not. Um, and, you know, for the, in the near term, the, the, the costs of the treatments are going to be a limiting factor that uh, I can imagine that a lot of third world countries or countries with, with limited economic resources probably don't want to go this route because um, the, the treatments are, are basically unaffordable for the populations. It may even be unaffordable for the United States, quite honestly, but... Um, I think the, the relative uh, financial resources uh, is what's making the U.S. the most aggressive about uh, about screening and, and treating hepatitis C. Do you have anything to add, Jeannie, on what you think should happen? The screening issue of applying these harms to larger populations. And again, that's exactly where the um, neuroblastoma story comes in. You know, when you start doing surgery on a lot of people or you start giving a drug that can cause 3% rate of serious adverse events, um, we may be causing more harm than good, and we really need a study that's going to tell us what the answer is. And we don't know the answer. We're not saying it doesn't work. Um, we're just saying that you should have a study to know whether something is good before you put it on the market, not after. I can actually give you another cautionary tale, like the the uh, statins for lowering cholesterol. When when statins came out, um, and this was actually predates you know, my entering medicine, but they were viewed as this miracle drug because they they uh, they were very effective at lowering bad cholesterol. Um, and we thought lowering bad cholesterol was all you needed to do to reduce heart attacks. Um, but now, you know, in the most recent iteration of the guidelines of, uh, for cholesterol reduction, they actually say, well, you know what, it's not so much just that number. It's also an assessment of what's the patient's risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And unfortunately, there aren't really similar risk assessment things that we can do for liver disease. It would be very nice if we could say, well, of all the people who, have, who are hepatitis C positive, who is actually going to be the person to develop liver disease? If we knew that, um, then we could you know, possibly target treatments better. And, and this is, of course, assuming that the, the, the new treatments are effective at preventing liver disease, but we don't even know that. So we're, regardless of the effectiveness of the treatments, we will most likely have a very large population of people who um, within the screening group who are not going to benefit. So that's already kind of a strike against 
the widespread screening strategy, and that can really only be offset if you have dramatic uh, uh, benefits in the the 20% of people who would go on to develop liver disease. And we're just not sure what you know how many of them are going to benefit from the new treatments. You've been listening to Kenny Lynn and Jeannie Lenza discuss hepatitis screening. For more information, see their article, Is Widespread Screening for Hepatitis C Justified? on thebmj.com.